0: Episode 35 of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Chad Noonan, and I want to jump immediately into this episode, because right off the top, I'm going to reveal the names of the inductees for the Class of 2023 Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. These inductees will be inducted the third week of February in Hamilton, Ontario. We're going to be revealing those shows and dates and all the ceremonies coming up real, real soon. But I want to get to the inductees right off the top here and the inductees for the class of 2023 are Billy Van, the cast of The Happy Gang, Joanna Downey, Marie Dressler, Rose Oulette, the cast of SCTV, Eugene Levy, Jim Carey, Martin Short, and Steve Smith, AKA Red Green. What an amazing class, unbelievable, representation of Canadian comedy. You have your stand-ups, your movie stars, your producers, your writers, your casts. Unbelievable list. So excited for this year's induction ceremony that once again will be taking place in Hamilton. Uh, Very, very excited. But let's get to today's episode. Let's talk about the future of stand-up. I have Dave Mirage on uh, today. He's probably the best Canadian stand-up right now doing it. He's got a big movie coming out next month. And I also have, first up, Kenny Hotz from Kenny vs. Spenny. Uh, Kenny is is a Canadian comedy legend. Um, He was a writer on South Park. A lot of people don't know that. And of course, uh, from the famous show kenny versus spenny we talk a lot about that we talk about south park we talk about canadian comedy we talk about what it was like for kenny coming up in comedy how he sold his tv shows his relationships with spenny there's a very very fun com- conversation kenny is a wild man he's a wild guy and i think you uh you see this in this uh in this interview i loved it had a blast give it up kenny hots on the canadian comedy hall of fame podcast you, you were supposed to be part of the gala at uh, introducing uh, Mark Breslin, but you got COVID last year. I did,
1: but uh, I wrote uh, a letter and everybody thought that I intentionally um, abandoned it, but I didn't want to at all. And so Mark Breslin took Spencer out for dinner for attending his inauguration. And he didn't take me out, even though I spent way more time writing that hilarious letter than Spenny did uh, presenting.
0: Yeah, and Spenny had to present your your letter. Um yeah. he was very sweaty during the whole thing, which I'm yeah. sure you'd be 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 happy to know. Um I'm curious, like what is your like when did you come across a yuck yuck stage? You're not like not known for stand up comedy, but obviously you you did at some point.
1: Yeah, well, I I grew up in basically, you know, downtown Toronto. And I I went to Yuck Yucks um We were little stoners when we were 13, you know, smoking cigarettes and, you know, we're heaps. So we used to hang out in Yorkville a lot. And there was a Yuck Yucks in the basement of Yorkville. And so I actually went to Yuck Yucks when I was really, really little, like 1980 probably was the first time I went. And uh, it was pretty amazing. You know, they, they back then, you know, Reslin had you know, male and female gingerbread cookies that had like penises and vaginas on them. But my, my, one of my earliest, um, yuck yuck stories was I was down there once and there was this big Jeremy Hots, um, banner and this massive lineup. And I went up to the, to the, uh, you know, ticket booth and I said, Oh, I'm Jeremy's brother. Can have a couple of tickets, and they gave me a couple of tickets. I had to show them my idea because I'm Kenny Haas. and then I went into the lineup, but I scalped the two tickets for fifty bucks. And this was honestly like thirty years ago, maybe even longer. So, um you know, that's my big yuck yuck story.
0: Um, did have you have you told Jeremy that story? Yes, yeah, I'm friends with Jeremy,
1: <laughs> and, and and you know, I think the or actually the first time I ever heard about yuck yucks, my older brother Ronnie went to yuck yucks and he said he went and he saw um, howie mandel on stage who came out in a diaper and he put his hand down the pack of the pipe diaper and said i made a caca it's so mushy (laughs) and so i there's something about that always made me want to kind of hang out there not that i really did much but but i I always respected stand-up and and the fact you know i kind of am a stand-up comedian now is incredible to me because um, it's so hard, it's so hard to do, and I just never ever thought I'd have the balls to just get up in front of people and, and do that. And the other thing is I don't think anyone even respects Spendy and I as stand-up, even though we've done you know four or five hundred live shows, which are basically all stand-up, and these are 90 minute shows.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's do you get nervous at at all before going on stage anymore? Or is oh, it just like insanely
1: nervous before every show? only recently like in the past year it's more of a i don't give a shit
0: Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's funny because i instant like i'm now like where i don't give a shit but i don't know when that happened like it just happened one day uh where like i'm not nervous anymore but you you can't pinpoint when it happened or why it happened right
1: yeah in fact i can't really go and do it alone i've always wanted to do it alone and I have some pals who are, you know, incredible stand-ups who've kind of been pushing me for decades to do stand-up, and I did try, but I I just find it so much easier and better to do with with and you know, a partner. My my, you know, comedy is more of a quick quick-witted response to, um, you know, some sap. So you know, it's very easy for me to, um. You know, make jokes when you know I hear random sentences. I, 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 for some reason, I just I'm kind of like autistic with you know yeah. puns and and wit. Well, not to blow sunshine up my ass, but um you know that's that's what I do best. And uh it was always hard for me to go up there alone and and do bits.
0: I feel like uh, the premise of like Kenny versus Spenny has like obviously it's taken off in in the terms of your TV show, but. And and you guys have sold the rights to the show all over the world. But do you ever see something like in the wild and be like, oh, that's Kenny versus Spenny, like Kenny versus Spenny in the wild, yeah, or on TikTok or one of those?
1: It's called YouTube and Tik TikTok and. (laughs) But um, you know, I think everything's poached. All of comedy is, you know, evolution. Um, I I I couldn't, I didn't really, you know, I was trying to figure out where the the inception of Kenny versus Spenny came from it. And all I could really think about was, you know, at the time we were pitching it in like 99. um, The only thing that was really out was celebrity death match. And that was the only thing that kind of gave me the idea to, to do it. Um, You know, the Osbournes, I think maybe were one of the first kind of reality sitcoms, even though it didn't really have like a, a, that much of an, of a, we didn't really have any competition or any kind of, you know, doggy dog type of thing. And I think the dog eat dog nature of Kenny vs. Fenny came from just two shitty Canadians living in Los Angeles. Broke. Like it was so it was such a um a competitive, like insane nightmare when we got there. It was like, oh my God, what is this fucking place? Like you're sitting next to you know, writers' teams are about to pitch a meeting right before or after you. And you're like, these fucking vultures are insane. <laughs> you know, like the, it was just crazy how, how competitive it is out there. So maybe that kind of saturated into the content. But uh, we got lucky, you know, we pitched a bunch of ideas. Originally, it was guinea pigs where we would do medical experiments, someone would give us medical experiments and we just have to kind of survive them and then that kind of evolved into spy versus spy from because we're both mad magazine fans Mm -hmm. and and it ended up with the show but you know it could have been you know 10 other shows we pitched and then to be able to get it and not screw it up is you know lucky as well
0: yeah i think it was like the perfect timing for that too yeah right for that show like we i even read somewhere about timing how like Uh, CBC was going to pick up Tom Green show they didn't and then that worked out for you guys because you were like the next in line and then ran with it during that time
1: that's what I I think it was Debbie Bernstein at the CBC and and I think I reminded her once that you know they haven't had a Jew on the CBC for since SCTV and she was like oh yeah Jesus Christ you're right like (laughs) all the comedy in Canada historically has been you know political like, you know, Air Force, this hour has 22 minutes, you know, to me and my friends, if this hour at 22 seconds, it would be too long. You know what I mean? It was just, we couldn't, we just can't deal with the, you know, East Coast political type of comedy. We'd like kind of Jewish comedy or you know mm-hmm. that type of thing. So it was torture watching, you know, Red Green or Smith and Smith, like I fucking slip my wrists with half the, you know, most of the Canadian comedies. As opposed to Tom Green or SCTV, um, which to us, you know, these guys were the Beatles. It was just the greatest, most revolutionary, incredible, especially SCTV. Tom, I, I just love, but, you know, it, it was so, you know, Kaufman esque and absurd. And, 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 there, you know, during that time, I don't know if I'm blabbing, but during that time, um, everything was a series of unrelated vignettes you know Tom would do throws from you know his his talk show to field produced segments uh, Jackass was just you know v- vignette 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 and then we kind of just integrated narrative which was you know a competition had a beginning middle and an end and then we threw on a Tom Green vignette at the end of that like a humiliation and that's really where it came from
0: oh, yeah just, that, I oh, mean just, Tom
1: yeah, so, I'm sorry. Originally, I think we wanted to just because we're scummy, we just wanted a reward. If you won, you were, you were, it was like called prize or punishment. You know, if you win, you get, you know, you have to pick prize or punishment. And we even originally thought that we're going to have like this, this baby in a throne with a crown that was kind of telling us what to do. You know, got <laughs> this little baby stolen from Star Trek, the Trenya baby guy. Like, he was like this kind of god who was making us compete you know it went through a bunch of various tangents but ended up extremely you know primitive and dogma you know it was just um you know we had no money and and i think one of the good things about it was how we kind of exposed the male psyche and ego as like extremely toxic you know, and I, that's why I think women liked our show. I, I think women kind of liked our show more than Tom Green or, or or Kids in the Hall or Trailer Park Boys or something. We, there was just something about Kenny versus Penny that kind of exposed the fragile male ego to a female audience. And, you know, a large part of our audience is female, which has always been extremely strange to us. Like we never understood why girls liked the show. We do now. But it was a very, yeah. that was the real, the biggest surprise. It's like, why are girls watching the show? And we're also kind of the two personalities of guys that girls date. You know, Spenny's like the wounded puppy junkie, you know, the the those girls that date like these kind of loser drug addict DJs. And I was this, <laughs> you know, super hot genius with a huge penis that
0: would make yeah. orgasm. Well, the girls are like, I'm going to try to fix this guy, but you're, yeah. you're unfixable. There's nothing to yeah. fix, yeah. right? You're, you, you're perfect. So um, what what was the hardest challenge for you? I mean, there were so many hard challenges for spending, but what's like on the show, the whole run of the show, what was the hardest challenge for I you?
1: Who could stay awake the longest probably was the most uh, like torturous because I don't know. We stayed awake, honestly, for three full nights, four nights. And we really did. It was kind of the first show that Matt, Matt and Trey saw they were they were working on Team America, and we were on Game Show Network in America. And uh, while they were making the movie, they hadn't slept for like a week. And then they saw just randomly saw who could stay awake the longest and and fell in love with us, which was really sweet and nice. And um, but yeah, that was torture. You know what the reality is the whole show's torture. When you're working that much every single day, and you know, it was it was a camera in your face every single morning. Um, it it was your life, which I think it kind of you know emulates a lot of the kind of YouTube TikTok content now where people had cameras in their faces. But it was a Truman show, you know. My friends, very insulated, non-union. Um we just went and, and it was a lot. And I don't think people really understand you know how much work the industry is how much work stand up people want to be stand ups or want to be artists and and but the reality is are the people that that really persevere are the ones who do so much fucking work it's out of control and and do that you know for no reason for 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 just because they're they're um just because they do they have to uh, i don't know what it is drive you know so um but it there's lot. that
0: constant there's that constant thing and, and you probably felt it like while you were making your show where okay what's next like i hear that so much like even at just for laughs this year i was like talking to like big famous comedians and they're like yeah but now i have this show and i got a plan for this i gotta i'm like dude, dude you're at the biggest comedy festival headlining a show right now Um, uh, did you guys feel that when you were making kind of like okay what's like never stopping to smell the roses
1: well we, you know, it was weird for us because we had like minimal successes with little movies we made and then we did mm-hmm. feature. So it was the progress, the progressive, you know, fame that we got was, was very slow, but you know, when Kenny versus penny hit, like it really hit, it was, it really kind of exploded in Canada. And we were gods. It was crazy. Um, there was nothing like it on TV at the time. Um, it just hit and migrated to other countries in the world you can you know you can feel it but i think the biggest problem is is you know how do you how do you not you know kill the mothership you know how do you Hmm. make sure that you know this is the best possible thing it can be for us and for everybody uh without you know ruining it and that's really the hardest thing. And, and luck, luckily, you know, we weren't really, we're not really that smart or that good or incredible filmmakers. Like I'm a good filmmaker, but I'm not like amazing enough to do anything except for what I do. So I was kind of lucky that, you know, we managed to create uh content that was extremely um close to home and we couldn't really do anything else it got a little hokey here and there and and you know sometimes it was a little too um aggressive or gross you know so when when we go off on a tangent that kind of didn't work it was because you know um jackass was doing a lot of fecal stuff family mm-hmm. got south park were doing you know poop stuff and and you know i'm watching you know i'm watching our show on on Pirate Bay on peer-to-peer networks that are global networks, and it was like, you know, South Park, Family Guy, Tom Green, Jackass, Kenyver Spenny. I was like, oh my god! Like we are. Spenny never understood, but you know, I I was a real computer guy, and like to actually be on a peer-to-peer global peer-to-peer network up there next to Family Guy, was so heavy for me. Like it was just it blew my mind. Um, it really it was really crazy, and I think yeah that.
0: wasn't i was just gonna say that's not just tv execs pushing it at that point right that's fans
1: i I, I think there was a separation between our you know our our international audience and execs i don't think execs ever really understood how popular we were um you know they did in the states that's why we got on comedy central but but um and you know here they did you know once you're on, like, we're on CBC, we're a hit. They, you know, we managed to pluck the show from them. So, you know, being, you know, one of the biggest shows, you know, in, on a Canadian broadcaster and, they, and, and still get canceled, you know, it's not a profit motivated system here. So, you know, a lot of shitty shows are on for, you know, 30 years and the great ones just die or, or, you know, people here have a tendency to kind of, um do stuff for Canadians as opposed to just doing it for people and you know or, we've always kind of i always felt like our our show you know is ca- canadian but I, well, I never mentioned anything canadian if there was canadian money in the show i usually cut it out i i just thought it was just about you know idiot guys so um which didn't not make it canadian it fulfilled all 10 points for canadian grants but uh you know we didn't kowtow to anybody um and that's one of the things i liked about it like i wanted the show to just work in every country and the only way to do that was just to be ourselves but i've said it before and i don't want to shit on canada or beat that drum but um i i might have been sitting at a table with my family for 56 years we've never mentioned saskatoon so and you know sometimes flipping through canadian shows all you hear is like (laughs) <laughs> you know, prairies, prairies, or, you know, East coast, or, hmm. you know, Capus casing, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I, you know, I just think it's, I, I just don't, I think people don't need to do things to make money. They just need to do things to make great art. And, and sometimes that gets lost here when a, the government funds people to create art. So
0: Spenny told me this story about uh, going to the, when you guys did your, uh, appearance on on Jimmy Kimmel which is my favorite um late night talk show guy um and the amount of weed that is smoked uh after taping yeah. one of those shows with Jimmy um and then Spenny kind of putting his foot in his mouth a little bit uh, i think he trashed Huey Lewis yeah um and they're really good friends is there yeah. what where did, what's, where does that story lie well line? that's
1: spenny is a master at burning bridges we used to go for like <laughs> meetings with like the heads of abc and he would order too much alcohol during the meeting. I like, just couldn't stop. So, so yeah, we, well, first of all, you know, when you do a talk show, there's bottles of vodka backstage and you're so fucking nervous. I, you know, I was up for two weeks before doing these shows. Like, it's so important. Like who, you know, what Canadian shows on like camel cone and like all of these yeah. things we did it was just, it was open mic with Mike Bullard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah so anyways we go up to because you know I think did I think well I think but when we did yeah when we did Kimmel Matt and Trey were executive producing the show and they're friends at Kimmel and actually John Kimmel Jimmy's brother was my you know wrote with me on South Park so it was me John Kimmel um Kyle McCullough you know in a room with with Matt and Trey so yeah you know, I was friends with his brother so we get on and and you know, which is incredible. We do the show and then we go upstairs after Sarah Silverman shows up. We're in this really tiny office and you know he, he, Kimmel's got all these pictures of him and all these celebrities. And, you know, there's him and Huey Lewis, Kimmel and Huey Lewis, and Spinny said, Yeah. He goes, Oh fuck, I hate that guy. And Kimmel goes, That's my best friend. And, yeah. you know, when John Miller, one of the heads of MTV who picked up the Tom Green show wanted to Tom Green got cancer. So so they canceled the show. Then they they want our show before we even get Kenny versus Spenny MTV comes to us because we had a pilot. And they said, okay, we want to pick, John Miller says, we want to pick up your show. Why don't you guys, Spenny, I hear you play guitar. Why don't you come to my house and jam and and we'll talk about it. And Spenny says, no, I don't jam. I only play alone. I was like, punched him right, like right (laughs) in the arm. You idiot. We just got invited to like the head of MTV's house to talk about business. And he said, no, I I can't do that. Like, that's (laughs) how, how stupid he is that's why the funny tom green story is that john miller from mtv kept trying to like was emailing them going i'm from mtv i want your show call me why aren't you calling me and they they never believed that some guy exec from mtv was calling them so like for a year or two they didn't go on mtv because it was just so they were just so flabbergasted. they just never believed that they would get an email like that And and i think that's a very canadian thing
0: yeah i mean yeah it uh, that is that is very canadian and we've all had creative writing partners like that who just i i mean maybe they they, they have good ideas they're good in the the uh the meeting room but terrible on in the boardroom yeah and i think um, you could
1: say the greatest thing about kenny versus spenny is the fact that i managed to sell the show with spenny there because <laughs> it, he is just so detrimental to business in the process but but you know when matt when we go up with matt and trey they meet him the next day they said don't ever bring him out with us again but they knew the show was totally real and once they met Spanny who basically had a meltdown got so blind drunk flipped over our dinner table and and got booted out by security that's when they that's when like they like they loved us before but when that happened they're like they knew that this was so real which is we've always been fighting this persona of being fake um you know of course there's there is some you know performance it's not like like Mm -hmm. we never we never competed we were not competitive guys and we kind of hated what we're doing unlike tom Green or jackass who kind of enjoyed what they were doing but yeah so so that's i think the only kind of bullshitty thing about our show is You know, we had to compete in the series because that's what the show was about. But I don't think that that's inorganic or takes away from the actual content itself. Uh, The fact that we had to trade our friendship um, for fame and fortune is part of the context of Kenny versus Spenny. You know, it's the sadness of me having to destroy my best friend so that, you know, we could eat. Is is all yeah. kind of the part of the complexity of what it's like getting a show in LA and just trying to make it.
0: Uh, people talk all the time about like the grind to write SNL and the six days that they make it in, or five, or whatever it is. But I, I think if not a close second tied with it, the the grind to write South Park. Um, the documentary Six Days to Air is one of my favorites um what was that grind like that nothing. you know there's that nothing. they're
1: trying to it's bullshit there's no grind you don't do anything you sit there and matt o- argues about getting a salad for lunch and trey wants kentucky fried chicken <laughs> it's not only. It's, so the
0: documentary is it
1: no, what it is it's not, you don't do anything oh my god, it's god that's so funny. fucking boring it, it was the worst job i've ever had in my life years like of course it's fun sitting with my pals but yeah but you, trey writes everything um you know, Matt of, of course is a you know concept guy genius. Does the you know helps and stuff, but the only writing credit on South Park is is Trey Parker, so he he basically writes every script. And it was really just him and Matt doing everything. The writers don't really do anything, um, so that's why you know I I kept trying to throw in Jew jokes and I hardly got anything in. Like I, I honestly got one one joke in, and the entire time I was there. But it was so wild. I remember going back to my girlfriend and just going, This is the worst fucking job ever. I thought season nine, Kenny Hots, this is the year when when it's like when Conan got hired on on, on Simpsons. This is <clears> the <throat> year when everybody's gonna know this is when South Park fucking popped, the year I get I get hired. And I went in there going, Oh, I can't believe I'm gonna like make this show so fucking great. And they they the show was so defined, and they were on you know so i was kind of just i think we're all just these you know they don't need us just unneeded you know and, and the other thing is they don't need joke guys they need story guys so mm. uh, i wish I would have told me that before i started i did have some good stories and stuff but you know on a break trey and matt think about what what their episodes are going to be, and then they just go. And they want it done so fast. Like, I want it to kind of slow down, and what about this joke here, and this joke? They want out. They want to finish the fucking show and move on to the next episode, which was, you know, crazy for me. But but it was very similar to kind of Kenny versus Spenny. You know, it's just stack them and pack them, finish the fucking show, move on to the next one. But that didn't give me much of an opportunity to kind of inject my genius into it.
0: But but that's it, wild though,
1: me. once once I didn't really know them when they hired me. And they hired me because you know after Spenny flipped over the table. It was like, okay, keep that guy away from us and come right with us. <laughs> and but but um after I got fired from South Park, <clears throat> that's when I really became close with them. Basically you, you spent every day with them and 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 we really got tight. And I really I, I honestly they they're billionaires now and they deserve everything they got. It's just, they're so incredible and funny and moral and just uh, just great. I love those guys.
0: On on your show, on Kenny Fitzpatty, was there a challenge that you guys, uh, that didn't make it the air that maybe you started filming and was like, oh no, we got to scrap this one. Did that ever come about?
1: No, but we did the Who's a Bigger Retard, which we ended up turning into Who's a Bigger Idiot. And <clears throat> that that show ended up not airing and so then Mm -hmm. we did an episode who the black guys like more so i had to turn that episode into two episodes to fulfill our obligation for episode episodic delivery and then they were so happy i said look i'm giving you guys um um a you know digital only episode so that kind of worked i was pretty i was pretty you know digital savvy even back then
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um you know even our our production company at the time, you know, I wanted to do YouTube videos and one of the wives there was working in digital said, my, 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 my kid uses that. I was like, yeah, that's the point. I, I I was trying to push, you know, online digital distribution of Kenny versus Benny from day one. And we did and it worked and, but, but uh, I was always into that stuff. And I, I think maybe one of the first people at the CBC that really kind of did that.
0: That was a that's a parallel to Tom Green too right Tom was yeah, was huge I, in that one of the first yeah, but podcasters that was, I think and everything. that
1: was after I don't think because they were on so early right I don't think they they did digital stuff like they're they they came from Rogers Cable 10 that's where they hit and that's the the only place they really appeared when we started this YouTube was starting there was no kind of digital anything the the original Kenny versus Benny pilot I leaked to BMW films And I pretended that I didn't do it and our agent at CAA fucking lost her shit because (laughs) somebody threw the pilot episode on there and it was me just so people would see it. And I think that that was probably beneficial and, and one of the reasons why the show ended up selling.
0: For sure. Some some like guerrilla marketing in that regards. Um, I have two more questions for you. The first one I ask everybody who has an sure. IMDb page and uh, most people get it wrong. But I feel like you might know yours. Um, and that is, do you know your first credit on IMDb?
1: Um, my first credit on IMDb, let me think, is probably Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
0: It is not Teenage oh. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I, mean, I it wrote, is... wrote an episode for it. I, I saw that, and that is that is like a little deeper in, but it's um it don't cost nothing to say good morning. A film that you directed, edited, made, yeah. I I made a According movie to-
1: about this this homeless, foul mouthed dwarf who lived in Rosedale, which is the most affluent neighborhood in all of Canada, and Spenny lived near him, and and we loved him, and we just kind of made a short film. The short film ended up going to like uberhausen and HOF and all of these crazy film festivals all over the all over the world i think it won hot docs in like 94 91 something like that but I, we honestly worked on the film for two years and it was and i shot it on film mm-hmm. with my little helen bowels 16 mil camera so that was really that was our first kind of nfb you know type of film And yeah, and you know, we got a taste, you know, you're going to film festivals all over the world and it's doing well and winning. And, uh, that was fun, but a lot of, a lot of work. Holy shit. That's why I was talking Uh, like that, doing the work for nothing just because you're driven to that. I think those are the people that actually make it. Of course, there's people that just, you know, do a pop song and they're
0: billionaires
1: or girls that are putting on mascara on YouTube and making 200 K a month. But, um, yeah
0: the grinders the grinders yeah. as they call them the people that are putting it in day in and day out L- last question for you I know we don't have a ton of subscribers and I know you don't know who's in. I love
1: I love you guys I, I I'm I've always been I've always wanted to be a part of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame I'm mad that that we you know it goes back to how angry we are that that there's a a A separation between how famous we are internationally and and just how the industry's kind of always ignored us for some weird reason and i I say this in my shows and i'm ragging but you know why i did a lot of fucking work is that a handful of comedies that have ever aired in canada not so much now 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 there was you know Shits creek and kim's convenience Mm -hmm. and i don't know what else but but back when we did it no shows there's maybe four or five shows that have ever in canada aired comedies that have aired in the u.s kids in the hall SCTV, tom green and us and I, I don't think there was really anything else at the time when we did but when a canadian show migrates to the u.s and airs for 350 million people give them a fucking gemini like jesus christ <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely
1: gemini like we are on like Executive produced by Matt and Trey on Comedy Central. Uh, you know, the, the diplomats of Canadian comedy, nothing. So that's why I like you guys. But I want a fucking award. Honestly,
0: we deserve it. You, you are, you, it's Benny future Hall of Famers, for sure. Your names have been brought up on this podcast we, many times.
1: Are, uh, uh, we, so Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan were sending us hundreds and thousands of letters saying that you know we're helping them from PTSD. People are watching our show as their fathers are dying with cancer. As they're dying, they're watching the foreign episode. And a lot of people, uh, indigenous people, who are just so fucked and abused really you know survived on kenny versus spenny
0: you know it's it it's wild how it like transcends generations to
1: you know i walked down the street today someone screamed kenny out of a car so and i look like george clooney with liver cancer so i don't know (laughs) how uh anyone even recognizes me now i haven't been on tv in 20 years
0: or 10 Yeah, i think i think you're very recognizable i think uh i think you are But, but my question is who do you think Uh, yourselves, other people aside, or who do you think is a Canadian Comedy Hall of Famer? When you think this person should be in the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame, what name pops into mind?
1: Well, Mark Breslin, 100% for sure. He's the reason why Canadians are in Hollywood. He put them on stage. Mm -hmm. He was the first person to build a comedy club. So Breslin, 100%. Tom Green, beyond 100%. The, the, The greatest individual Canadian comic to ever... Uh, end up airing in the u s. Um, us, of course, um, scTV, anyone from scTV, even you know um, even the bit players like um, uh, Robin Duke and you know Tony Rosado, like those guys, like anyone who had any touched anything on scTV to to me are the greatest Canadian comedians of all time. And uh, I'm trying to think what else? You know, I, you know, when you, when you give awards to, you know, the trouble with Tracy Party Game, um, you know, it's deserved. Hilarious House of Frightenstein, those guys should be in a mm-hmm. van. Um, Captain Jack Tuffy, you know, but <laughs> I, you know, half of the references I'm going to make, no one would even, you know, know um there's shows like what was it um oh anyways whatever i can't start talking about you know shit i grew up with in the 70s <laughs> um so yeah I, I i just think give it to the people that deserve it and that's all that matters but uh, there's a thanks lot so you're a lot of hacks you're giving shit to and they don't fucking deserve it give it to the give it to the you know the goats yeah give it to the goats first and i'm not i'm not even comparing myself with them i'm i'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even, I wouldn't even dare, put my name in the same, you know, sentences SCTV. But uh,
0: yeah, SCTV for sure. That is the one that comes up the most on every time I've done seventy mm-hmm. some interviews with Canadian comics, and that's the one that gets mentioned the most. Uh, Kenny, thanks so much for for doing this, um, coming on and, and joining me and talking talking a little comedy. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of you. a uh, huge fan of your, your your show and and everything you've done. So I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much. I'll see you out there.
0: Kenny and Spenny are still touring their stage show, their stand-up show. Uh, their next stop is December 17th in Sarnia KennyHots.com for tickets for Kenny and Spenny live. Thanks again for Kenny for coming on. Next up, I have probably one of the best stand-ups in Canada. I would say top five Canadian stand-up right now doing it, touring the country. It's the great Dave Mirage. I'm very excited because I'm going to be doing a show with Dave in my hometown of Brockville. I'll be hosting for him uh, coming up December 13th, the day after this episode's release. Might be still some tickets of. To- available probably going to be sold out because dave is such a legend if you don't know uh, dave has been on the show mr d Uh, he's on the show rammy which is on hulu and crave right now he's co-starred along daisy ridley in a new movie called sometimes i think about dying uh, which premiered at Sundance in january and will open in limited locations hopefully nationwide this come upcoming january 2024 i had a lot of fun talking to dave uh we talked about canadian comedy what it was like growing up in that Windsor scene doing stand-up, what's his life like now, and all the amazing success he's had. Give it up for one of the best in the game right now. It's Dave Mirage on the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. Who's who's a better dancer, you or Marito? Uh,
2: I don't know, I, I would, it's like too, I mean, I'm not a good dancer by any means. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if it's hard, to, if it's more hard, I don't know. He really puts a lot of heart into it. I think it's different styles. I'll tell you that. We have two different styles. But I, I wouldn't mean, say any of us. I don't know. Maybe we will think he's a good, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I'm a good dancer by any means. I, I think you're a good dancer. Yeah. want to have a good time, I felt.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something I think you do. By the way, love the Razor Ramon hat that you're wearing right now. Um, you, that's, are you, Are you a pro wrestling guy?
2: yeah but not like I wouldn't I mean growing up and then in the raw era I had just better knowledge of everything that was happening and right. I kept more up to date I would say right now I'm more like I'd have to ask friends mm. I have a really good buddy comedian friend of mine Neil Rhodes out in Halifax he's he's like on it like he's he's into like he knows what's happening now so whenever I go like do shows there and stay with him he kind of updates me on everything so I, that's that's you know, I, I, that's what the type of fan I am, I guess. I don't want to say that I know, you know, but I'm, but I love that era that I came
0: up in, or not came up in, sorry, that I was watching it more intently. Yeah, that attitude era was my era. I always love, like, first of all, pro wrestling and stand up comedy parallels. You know, I love this, like, carny lifestyle, is what I yeah. call it, like old style carnival vaudeville lifestyle, uh, which drew me to comedy and it's the same as like in pro pro wrestling where you start in like dirty gritty places basements you know lions clubs legions stuff like that and and then you you grow from there and that's where you build your chops i I, i'm fascinated all the time about those parallels i think Um,
2: i think also like la night to me is like a reminder of like of like the energy that we had back in the era or attitude era. Like, I don't think, yeah. you know, I think he, I haven't seen anyone until him recently have like such a exciting catchphrases. Like, do you know what I mean? Like a movement, like not that the other wrestlers, it just was like, I, it reminds me of the rock and Stone Cold, to be honest with you.
0: He's definitely parallel. Like he it is stone cold. Like he's he's, you know, he's got the leather vest on now. Yeah. He's got the one word catchphrase. Like it is that. But it's um, different
2: though. Like I know there's a comparison, but it's different to mm-hmm. me. It's like, it's like he has this. I can't explain it. It's just like I haven't seen it in a while. Do you know what I mean? Like people are yeah. like, it's like it's it's yeah. I think it's just so different and cool. I love it.
0: I, uh, I went, I took my daughter, we were down in Philadelphia a couple months ago, and I, we weren't planning on going, but we saw John Cena's in town, and it yeah. was like, John Cena's going to be on the show, it was a big deal, she doesn't know much about wrestling, but kids know John Cena, right? Yeah, he's like and, the, he, he's like the, like a mainstream guy like that. Yeah, yeah, he's like a movie star, right? Yeah. And, uh And, but LA Knight, when he came out, the place just blew up, and that's when I was like, aware of him at that point. Yeah, it's like it's like even you don't even have to be at
2: the event, you just see it through your phone. Like you just feel like you're like there's I haven't seen this kind of energy in a while, to be honest. I mean, you can name someone else, but I haven't seen anyone like that in a while. Yeah,
0: I agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting back into stand up, so you started um in Windsor. Um uh, where did kind of stand up begin for you? What was like the the impetus of of wanting to start?
2: I mean, I just always wanted to be a performer. I think that was mm-hmm. the main
0: thing. Like,
2: I, I, at the, when I was really young, I didn't really know stand up. I was just like, man, I just want to perform. Like, I would see like David Letterman, or I would see like a, you know, the movie award. Remember they had the blockbuster movie awards? Yeah. And then like you know Soul Train, just any type of like performances, I was like really intrigued by. And I was like, or yeah, just like I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then my uncle, my uncle Brian showed. He showed me, my sister, and my cousin, Danny. Somebody, yeah, like my sister, Mary. And we watched, I think they were all with me. Yeah, it was like, I think I was like 13. We watched Eddie Murphy's Delirious, Richard Pryor, okay. Coddlin, and Andrew Dice Clay.
0: Whoa, what a um, lineup.
2: Gravitated to, I would say, Richard Pryor. Okay. And then when I was 14, I told my best friend at the time, Lvody, that I wanted to do like, I was like, man, I'm going to do stand-up. But I thought you had to be like 19 to get in anywhere. I didn't know you can get your parents to take you. So I, I didn't know how to tell jokes. I got a comedy book called The Comedy Bible by Judy Gold, right? I think Our it's classic. Like that. Yeah. And I would like... Like read it, and I know, and then I was like confused. I was like, uh, you know, I was like, man, I'm funny through conversation. What if I just write all my conversations? Down? <laughs> and I wrote all these pieces. Like it was like this, like papers in a in a in like a plastic bag. And i um, at the time my best friend Hugo. We went to like high school together. Um, I I went over. I was like, yo, I think he, yeah. I was like, can I can you look at them? <laughs> So he, he kind of looked at them and then I tried stand up. and at 19 at Yuck Yucks in Windsor, it was the, they were looking for the best new comic or across the country. You know, I had no really, honestly had no business probably like even being in it, but I went up, you know, obviously I, like I bombed, um, try to jam all this stuff that I was thinking about. I just talked so fast and that kind of was the first time. And then that kind of, you know, after then I slowly but surely started to dedicate more time into it
0: what in in windsor were you getting up like once a week once a month what was it or was it so sporadic because i can't imagine at that time there was a scene quote unquote it wasn't
2: no scene it was like we we there was the yuck yucks had battle of the bands yuck yucks windsor and the headliner would stay over on the sunday you know from the weekend. Yeah, And I think, uh, I don't know who got them, you know, to do like an amateur night at the same time as the Battle of the Bands. And then when the Battle of the Bands thing kind of stopped, they kept the stand up. And that's how we kind of like met each other. And then I started to go to Michigan, like not to get paid, obviously, just amateur nights. And I would just do the clubs there, like whatever open mics that were in Michigan. So that's how oh, I, that's awesome. I'd cross the yeah. border. I had to pay like toll there and back. This is but this is how old I am. There was no GPS. It was MapQuest. So <laughs> I would I would go the day before because I was so scared. And I would I would drive to the venue. So I learned how to drive to it, like the route, and I would have the MapQuest papers on on this is my parents' car, like on the, the driver's seat, and then I would drive back and then I'd go the next day.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I'm that type of guy too. I would do that. You know, I'm like a don't want to miss the opportunity. Was there anybody kind of in that scene who's starting out that started out with you? Like any names that, that people would know?
2: I mean, they, yeah. Like, you know, there was like, I mean, they were in Michigan, you know, they were like Jesse pop, Brent Sullivan. These guys went on to work at comedy central, like work with like, you know, in the American side, they're Americans. Um, j chris newberg uh um, who's in la now i believe and um what's his name came after into this scene he's on the daily show why is it um costa mike costa okay yeah yeah Yeah, he came at after i think i had like already moved to toronto but um, i don't know the michigan scene had such I mean, to me, I had such a like really funny, funny group of people that I'm glad that, awesome. I, that I got to like, you know, take part
0: in it. Where, where are you now? Where are you based out of now?
2: Now I, I've been living in Los Angeles since 2020.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, I want to talk about this movie. Uh, sometimes I think about dying. This premiered at Sundance a year Actually,
2: ago. Well, yeah, it would be so. It would be this. I mean, this January, by, by the time the movie comes out, it'll be a year ago. A full year yeah. is wild, which is well, amazing. I the year before then too, so it's two yeah. years. It'll be two years almost over two years since it came. It's yeah,
0: yeah. Um, incredible class. Daisy Ridley, uh, Star Wars fame, unbelievable. Who who? Um, I guess is your counterpart in this. Um, even Megan Salter, who's just one of my favorite stand-ups I saw her do this surrounded crowd show at JFL just okay. the most insane crowd work you've ever seen but the absolute best uh, amazing just talk about what it was like, like this is a this is a huge I, I feel like film for you moment for you um in, in your I career mean, this I mean I've never been in a film this is the first film okay <laughs> so yeah very... yeah it's, it's, it's very it's a great one very... to be in
2: yeah it's like very I feel very grateful I can't even Blame or the type of um, gratitude that I have. Um, you know, when it even going to Sundance, I was like, that's um, beyond my dreams, you know, kind of th- thing. It was very, 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 very grateful. I'm probably going to say that word like 50,000 times in a sense, but like, I, yeah, you, you know, being a part, like, working on it I had like you know when we are filming there was a bit of I mean not just a bit but there was imposter syndrome so there mm-hmm. was a lot of times where I was like you know like can I do this am I good do I suck so but the, but the director Rachel and the rest of the cast Daisy you know it was, it was such a warm uh, environment such a helpful environment such a creative environment you know everyone wanted each other I feel to win so it just even the nerves yeah I just felt safe I, I felt safe on set and I felt safe you know you know Rachel was working with, side by side with me in a, in a sense where I felt like you know I could make mistakes in a sense um but like they they would be there for me so yeah I, I would, and it was a great great learning experience especially because like I said I came from t- t- at that time I had done two seasons of, of Rami where I was um you know, supporting cast member. And then I had done guest appearances on Mr. D, you know, last season seven and eight. So I, I you know, I was just getting into that experience of TV. So to go into, you know, first uh, time doing a movie um, and, and the project itself, the story, the script is, is like, was, was, it's a great story. It's a great script. It's like, it has like substance. So it was just such a wonderful
0: thing to be your first thing. And like a beautiful I've only seen the trailer. Um it comes out uh, I believe January twenty-third. Um but the 20, sorry 26th twenty sixth and twenty-sixth
2: in twenty-fifth, twenty-sixth, twenty-seventh in New York and LA. So far. Nice. And then it'll, yeah, there'll be more. Um but yeah, that is Dustin. Dustin Dustin's a DP. Like okay.
0: She, yeah right yeah it's it's the the trailer just and it's like it seems like my type of humor my type of type of, of film just like the pacing and everything um i one one uh, other thing i want to talk to you about is uh the low-key comedy show which is the show you do with with paul um i i saw it at uh, i did some filming for paul at, at just for last this year so i saw your outdoor concert Uh, venue. Um, It was the one where there was like this little like 14-year-old kid in the front row or maybe younger. He was like nine. It was very funny. Um, It's such a fun concept for a show where you guys are bringing up guests. You're doing a lot of crowd work stuff. Um, At this point in your stand-up career, are you looking for, I know I get sick of my own set and I'm always looking for like, okay, what alt show can I do? What different type of thing? Do you look for that more now of just like this is something fun fun for me and not my just regular stand-up I mean that show is really all Paul's you know mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of just there to host with
2: him so I want to give right. him it's really really hard he does a great job with it you know he, he he gets it into a lot of these places so I'm just kind of there hosting which you know I I love because he's like you know he's my good friend and and he, I think he's super funny and we have such a great you know, chemistry together, but I want to, you know, shine a light on, on all the hard work and all the things he does to make that show what it is. So that is all Paul. Um, And, you know, majority of that, you know, I I really love, I really, I was like, you know, subbing in originally and I really loved, I didn't know I would connect with him like that on stage. Like we were friends, you know, we would perform on shows together, but I think never as a, as a duo, and I think mm. from the first time I was like, it feels really comfortable. You know yeah, what I mean? It looks comfortable. It back. And um, and it's just, and I wanted to keep doing it. So I mean, to answer that question is I've always liked, you know, any way to like, you know, switch it up or try something new, even with my own stand up. I'm always, I'm always open to that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm not, you know, sometimes you get like, you know, obviously you get tired of your own. Um, material and your own maybe yourself so it is great to switch it up and find something that like excites you
0: I got two more for you two questions I ask everybody on the show uh the first one is, is is is' more of like a quiz and a test and and more of a, a knock on IMDB the company um and it's very simple and that is do you know your first credit on IMDB <laughs> So here's the thing is nobody either a knows and nobody gets it right. Even if they guess nobody is. Ever, and sometimes it's like things they weren't even in. Um, but yours might be right. There's kind of two that, that come at the same time. Uh, the first one being video on trial. which
2: yeah, You were, was, you yeah, were on. My friend got me. Yeah. My friend got
0: uh, Boomer Phillips. I think he helped me get that. It, it's for a lot of like comics like Deb d giovanni uh, darren
2: rose um yeah darren rose
0: is another one that's a lot of their first kind of credits
2: yeah they were and what's his name um man he did, oh what's his name bro blonde he he was like on he was like the main one there was like five of them that were the main ones i'm forgetting now my bad it was but a great
0: they, show though it was like yeah. it's a, it's a show that like I mean, people in their say, like late 20s, early 30s, like that was like the end. That was the come home from school. That's what was on when you were in grade like 11 and 12 was video bro, on trial.
2: That was like, I remember Boomer. I was really, I'm close. I'm really close friends with Boomer Phillips, who was on there all. And, and of course, Darren Rose and Eddie and mm-hmm. Deborah. But like, man, they, that was the thing, bro. As a stand up yeah. to get on, I remember stand ups were all trying to get on that.
0: Yeah, that was that was it. It was cool. The other one was that's on your IMDb is an early uh one, right around the same time as the Video on Trial was Ninja Jamaica.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I did a I think I did a voice.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, was, I don't know what is Ninja Jamaica besides having the best name for. It, I assume it's animated.
2: <laughs> it is animated. I can't, to be honest with you, I I I don't know if I could give a good description. I remember <laughs> I was part of it, but I don't. I don't. I. And the full honesty, I remember it is so long ago, but I don't know how to give a good description. I don't want to give the description in case it's completely wrong.
0: Yeah, no, I understand that. I'm just I I'm just one a at time. <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah, for a show like Ninja Jamaica, uh, <laughs> great name. Um, Final one for you, Dave. Thanks so much for doing this. Is, um, of course, this is the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. We're announcing our nominations for, or inductees for this year in the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame, but I just want to know, when you think of Canadian Comedy Hall of Famer, somebody that's maybe helped you in your career, or somebody you looked up to growing up, who would you be like, this Canadian, at some point, should be in the Hall of Fame?
2: Uh, Russell Peters, is he in? He's in, I thought he was in already.
0: He's he's not in yet, um, yeah, Russell but Peters. Russell
2: Peters, for sure, Yeah. yeah. Ain't nobody... I don't know if anyone done it like him, man. Mm. (laughs) Like, yeah, and he's like, still, you know, sells out arenas. Like, that's like the real deal, bro. And I think his influence on, you know, especially comics with, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to, you wanting to express their ethnicities Mm -hmm. and and feeling like, you know, watching somebody do it and, and very successfully do it and making it feel safe. Because, you know, you go you got. I think people don't understand is like when you're touring through Canada, a lot of the places are predominantly white audiences. I'd say 90 90 I would say I don't know I ninety mean, percent. That might be an off percentage, but a lot of it is. And, and you know, it's 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 hard. It's like you don't feel you connect. If you wanted to talk about the stuff, you know, you're scared. I mean, for me, I was scared. I was nervous. But then you watch Russell, and you're like, oh man, that's so inspiring.
0: It's mm-hmm. like
2: just he's expressing. How he grew up and what his background is, yes, yeah, so I would put him up a hundred percent. Uh
0: so many people say that Daniel Woodrow, Crystal Ferrier, Zabrina Douglas have all mentioned him on the show in the same sentiment of kind of what he's did for them, breaking open doors uh in, in their career. Um, thanks so much for doing this, Dave. I, I really Thank appreciate you, it. Man. Yeah, this Osman awesome. can't wait to see you next week in beautiful Brockville. <laughs> That episode was insanely fun. Thanks again to Kenny Hotz for coming on. Once again, KennyHotz.com for tickets to his show. And Dave Mirage, what an absolute treat. Can't wait to work with him this week uh, in Brockville, Ontario. He's one of the best stand-ups going. DaveMirage.com is where to get tickets to see Dave Uh, in his stand-up shows i know he has shows coming up in his hometown of windsor if you're in the windsor area you don't want to miss those shows that will be happening over the christmas season and look out for uh the movie sometimes i think about dying with the great daisy ridley uh you know her from star wars unbelievable cast uh so that's gonna release limited release to start in january it looks amazing it's gonna go nationwide so look for that uh once again the induction class for 2023 has been released that'll be happening in february in hamilton stay tuned to this pod stay tuned to twitter or x whatever you want to call it now facebook instagram our website canadiancomedyhall.com for all ticket information and how you can get to those galas and those induction sh- ceremonies and those amazing shows they're going to be unbelievable I saw a list of some of the performers. This is world-class Canadian talent, which will be coming to Hamilton in February. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Dave. Thanks to Kenny for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Chad Noonan.